Storehouse Dallas. Let me just pray again. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I love you. Thank you for reminding us today that we are made for love. Amen. Um, so norm, every day I'm a teacher. I teach high school students, 11th and 12th grade. Um, it's been a blessing. One of my coworkers is here today, Robert Evans. Um, we're in the trenches every day. We've been at the same school for 14 years together, and um, I'm going into my 18th year of teaching next year. So um, it's been a journey of just learning and lots of different faces and um, different things, but I love my students, and it's just been such a an experiment with the Holy Spirit at public high school in America. Um, it's interesting, but it's good, and the Lord is so gracious um, there. Um, But if you can open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 today, and I'm excited about it. We're going to be looking at the, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, So I kind of want to tell a little bit of my history at the storehouse, and Um, It began in August of 2008, and what had happened is the previous summer was um, the call Nashville in 2007. So it was 7707. We were at the Titan Stadium in Nashville, and it was really my first kind of um, like plunging in to like what you would call the perv movement, because I didn't really know that that was going on. I didn't know that that was a thing. I had grown up in charismatic church and everything, but I didn't know what that was. And if you've never been to a call, um, Lou Engel is amazing. He's a firebrand in the earth. And a call is a solemn assembly. It's a a day where you're going to do lots of prayer and fasting. Actually, my first call was I was 17 years old, and it was at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And at 17, um, it was not that enjoyable for me. Um, I remember thinking it was the hardest thing to not eat for an entire day. And it was cold that day. And there was a lot of repentance going on about the Indians. And it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was very hard for me to understand. Like, I just didn't get it. Like, I think I went with my youth group. And I'm sure my mom got me there. Um, but like, I just didn't get it. Like, it really didn't stick, and I didn't understand a lot of what was going on, although I identified with it because I knew that I wanted to be someone that was a person of prayer. And so, like, that didn't really stick, but fast forward to 2007 in Nashville, and I'm not kidding. I went with my mom and a good friend of mine and her mom, and I have never experienced the language or what I was seeing in front of me before, ever. They had three real weddings in the stadium that day just to symbolize the love of God and the bride of Christ and the Song of Solomon. Um, There was 60,000 people there that day, and literally by the time it was ending, I just remember being in the bottom of the the stadium floor on the field, and the presence of God hovering over us, and they had these drums that were literally just... It was as if this was a nation of Israel moment, like just going nuts with drums. And I felt like an Israelite. It was weird, but it was awesome. I was, I could feel the tangible presence of the Lord and something opened up inside of me that summer that marked me forever. Well, at the time I was in this young adults group, um, at a church and that Christmas, they invited me to go to one thing and at, and Kansas City, Bartle Hall, 2008, one thing. And I mean, again, I walked into that that um, convention center and I was floored at what they were singing, what they were saying, the message that was coming out of there. I had never heard the language before of the prayer movement and it marked me so deeply. I mean, I went on a 180 to where I was just on my face, like before the Lord after that. And I had never really experienced that before. And a lot of it had to do with um, the new messages that I had never heard before and um, about the Song of Solomon and about Revelation and um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, different things of that nature. Um, So we get to, so I'm like, 
see, searching out how I can move to Kansas City. I'm searching it out. I'm trying to figure it out. Well, nothing really happens except August of 2008. Now, I started out in public school by coaching volleyball as a head coach, 5A volleyball coach. Um, so if you know anything about high school volleyball, it starts the first week of August, two a day start. That means two practices a day, early mornings, late nights, and you're going to scrimmage that Friday. Um, you better be ready. So like you've got your whole program ready, which is usually about 50 or 60 girls. You're getting them ready. Well, I walk into the gym that morning to my office um, and I'm ready for two days. It's about 6 a.m. Well, on my answer machine was a call from a school in Kansas City saying, do you want to come interview? And I was like, Lord, okay. It was very clear that he did not want me to go there because I had girls coming into my gym like in an hour. So there was no, I was, the ball was rolling. Like I wasn't going to Kansas City that year. And I was just really like, man, like, okay. I felt it was this, it was sovereign of the Lord. I was like, okay, well, Dallas, we're here. So um, do two days. And my mom had called that day and said, I really think that you should come to a conference tonight. And I was like, mom, I'm not going to a conference. It's two a days. Like, what are you thinking? I, I very, you know, she is an amazing mom. I have two great parents and she would kind of drag me to these prayer things like throughout my life, you know, these conferences and like get me to these places. And I was like, mom, I'm not going to a conference that's like way over there on when I've just coached for eight hours. It's just not going to happen. And so, um, Somehow, though, after the course of that day, I found myself going to Lake Highlands Church in Lake Highlands, Texas. <laughs> and I walked in and crashed into, which at the time was the House of Zerubbabel, but um, I went there and I was blown away by what I was hearing. The, the person that was doing the, co the conference was called Gary Weens, and he has a message of the Song of Solomon, and he preaches it so incredibly. And I got to the back of that. I was in the very back. I'm wearing the shorts and the shirt, T-shirt and everything. So I'm in the back, and he is preaching, and I literally have to go to the bathroom to get the toilet paper, to get it out here, because I am crying like profusely like I was so shocked that I had just and really the main thing that was gripping me was I didn't think that I was going to find anyone with my DNA in Dallas like I didn't I realized that something had changed in me and I didn't know if I was going to get to be a part of it like in a corporate way and so I was really kind of heartbroken by it. And when I crashed into Tracy Eckert, and I didn't know Rob at the time at all, um, but when I met her that night, I mean, I remember what you were wearing. You were wearing a green blazer. And I just thought, like, a, some kind of a sage green blazer with jeans, cute jeans. She looks so cute. And I just thought she was so beautiful, and she prayed for me, and I just could not believe what I had just found. I was so happy and overjoyed, and the message that he was preaching, I had never heard before, and I just could not believe how the Lord loved me so much as to find somewhere for me in Dallas. Like, I was just couldn't believe it. And so after that, I basically was like, um, Tracy, what do I need to do? You know, because like, I kind of grew up in this church where it was kind of like a family situation. And so if you're ever going to be a part of anything, you kind of needed to be in the family. And so I wasn't in the family, so I didn't feel like I didn't know if I was ever going to get to do anything for God. And so, but I had a lot of gifts and I had a lot of leadership qualities and things on my life that I wanted to do. And so I was like, Tracy, what do I need to do? And she's like, you don't need to do anything. You just need to come to the house. I was like, okay, so I did. We, we, me and my mom, we just went to Winterwood, the house on Winterwood, and we just sat there um, for a while, and we just prayed, and we just began to listen to that CD, and we began to learn the language, and we began to go deep into what this was called the prayer movement that the Lord was doing, like, all over the earth. Because um, you know something's up when you go to, like, no houses of prayer to over 20,000 houses of prayer in a short amount of time. You know the Lord's doing something, and he's preparing the earth for the Lord's return. So I was just really excited about that. Um, and so uh, stuff started to happen um, in the prayer room at Winterwood. I mean, 
I literally remember battling, I was single at the time, so I was like 29 um, at the time, and so one of the things I battled a lot as a single person was loneliness, and it just like would plague me, it would just, it would feel terrible, you know, like you just wanted to try to escape it, and so one of the things I remember getting delivered from, it just all of a sudden was gone, was loneliness, like I had no more loneliness, I had no more self-hatred, the summer of 2009, I just sat in her house pretty much every day, I'd get there in the morning like 6 a.m., and I would leave at like 1 or 2, and I would just sit there, and I kept getting delivered from these things, and it'd be like, what are you doing, and I'd be like, nothing, I'm sitting, I'm just here, you know, I'm just studying the word, I'm just being before the Lord, and I was just getting delivered of these things, and I had um, another thing that the Lord was breaking off me in that season was I had uh, somewhat of an eating disorder from when I was 17 until then, and so that was breaking off. Uh, A lot of different things were, were breaking off just sitting in the presence of God at Tracy and John's house, and um So things started to happen because my life, the design of my life began to shift. And I'm one of those people that I'm probably, I'm definitely not a follower. Um, If I'm not, don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. Um, You know, I'm that person. I'm, I'm very intentional with my time. And the Lord just started to restructure my time and really like let me let go of, of my time in his presence, you know, and just not worry about it. And it was really kind of weird. I remember switching my volleyball practice on a Saturday morning. Now, this is when we got into the building the first time around, like this place over there that we had. Um, I remember switching my volleyball practice from in the morning, like normal volleyball practice on Saturday, to in the afternoon so that I could go to the morning prayer set at Storehouse. And you would not believe the calls I got from parents, like, you're ruining my Saturday. You know, like, you, you are messing up my, you know, thing. And I, but I was doing this. I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to be at the prayer room. Like, it was the weirdest. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm doing this. Um, and then And what was happening in there was it was kind of like a chemistry lab of like amazing worship and prophetic singing and prayer was going on and people just getting delivered and beginning to eat the word and eat the scroll. And and the incredible thing that comes out of it is the language of heaven and the language of the scriptures begins to come into your mouth and you begin to talk like it and you begin to you begin to eat the scroll and it's just an incredible thing. Um, so all of the messages too, the Song of Solomon, Zechariah, Revelation, they were all so transforming and, um, it just seemed like these things were miracles for me. And, um, so one of the, another amazing gift that I got, and this was later on in the house of prayer, but that the Lord gave me my husband in the house of prayer Um, and it wasn't until January of 2011, I knew him, but I didn't really know him. And then I was resist, I was a resistor. Um, but then eventually, you know, and it was such an amazing gift that I would have never met him if I had not come to the house of prayer. And so all of these things began to happen. Um, but I want to talk about Psalm one, um, because, that story kind of goes with the psalm, and it, and it tells the story of the psalm, really. Um, but if you look at Psalm 1-1 in your Bibles, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Um, we're just going to look at that one little part for now. But blessed um, in this context means happy. Um, The scripture is talking about how we can be truly happy according to the Lord's standards. Um, And it's talking about that you're going to be happy when you don't get mixed up in the the diminishing returns of sin. You can see how that scripture talks about progressive sin, standing, getting in the path of, and then seated with sin or ungodly counsel, he's saying you're going to be happy if you do not do this, right? Um, Just like there's no junior Holy Spirit, we tell our kids that, you know, um, 
there's no small sin according to the scriptures. So um, it says that everyone has fallen short and that the wages of sin is death. And we have a a person out there that the scriptures say he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy us. And he he doesn't want to stop until we're, we're dead. That's basically what the scripture says, because we're made in the image of God, you know? And so he's saying, don't mess around in these circles, in this situation. Um, and I would say that the ultimate counsel of the ungodly would be Satan, you know? Um, it's, you're not seeking godly counsel. You're going to go after fleshly counsel or other kinds of counsel that aren't the Lord. And so he's saying, don't get mixed up in this. Um, it's not life. Um, if you want to look at also other ideas where you hear the, the word blessed, um, is you find it in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's where repeatedly Jesus is saying, um, and he's describing kind of what we call an inside, upside down kingdom, where it's just kind of opposite world from what you would think, right? But he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. And so if you insert the word happy there, he's saying happy are those who are hungry and thirsty. This is true happiness now, not we're American dream what we imagine to be happy. He's saying this is happiness when you do this. Um, Jesus talked about the happiness that are fa that's found when we go hard after him. And I think a lot of us have personal ministries. Like I take my teaching every day as a personal ministry. Every day I impact kids. I've got like 70, I've got a total 150 kids in my program, but every day I see about 80 kids, right? So um, every single day, we can measure our ministry impact by how well we inspire others towards him, towards their destiny in God. And so if we don't have a vibrant, a vibrant spirit and hunger for the word and a spirit of prayer resting on our lives, then our ministry impact is going to be very minimal, and so you have to get after it. When you're hungry and thirsty for God, you're going to be impactful in your sphere. And that's like the huge, that's the huge message I want you to receive today is that when you go out, you want to make an impact. How are you going to do that? Well, Psalm 1 is pretty much going to tell you. Um, what I used to do when I first got to my school, um, I started out teaching at private school. And so when I first got to the public school, I remember, because I was coaching at the time, I'm not coaching now, but when I was coaching, I literally, I remember getting to the school about 5 a.m., no one was in there, the gym was dark. I remember being up in the top of the gym, just going back and forth and interceding for the kids and for my team and for different things going on. When I got into the classroom um, later, years later, I remember getting there early and even now, just praying over the chairs and over the desks and asking the Lord to make an impact on the kids. Um, because I am a huge believer that if you pray and ask the Lord for the intangibles, that he will give them to us. So if you want more hunger, he will give it to you. If you want more ministry impact, he will give it to you. If you want more joy, he'll give it to you. All those intangible things that we talk about in the scriptures and we see as fruits of the spirit, if you ask him for more, he will give you more. It says he'll pour out the spirit without measure. You know, so ask him for more. So I would do that. Um, that blessed are the merciful part, um, happy are the merciful, receiving and giving mercy. It's essential to our happiness, and it's not a call to casual sin. It's, it's a call to operate in holiness. Um, we are really called to extend mercy to those who mistreat us, those who annoy us, those who are different from us, those who stumble, and those who experience spiritual failure in their life. We are called to, to extend mercy, and the scriptures say that we're going to be happy when we do that. So I'm just showing you other examples in the scripture because sometimes we need to interpret scripture with scripture. Is it really what Jesus is saying? The answer is yes. True happiness is found where he says you're going to be blessed when you do this, right? So mercy is a call to restore, regenerate, and to create a new day for someone when you extend mercy to them. And I just really believe that our measure of gratitude will match our understanding of how much we've received mercy, We'll be so thankful, you know. The most thankful person in here knows that the Lord has extended his hand to him. You know, you're so thankful for that. Um, 
I also believe that the Holy Spirit teaches us when we read the scriptures. So in Psalm 1-1, we have to ask the question, if we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, then where do we need to find counsel? Um, we're going to see how, in a minute, how the word roots us and grounds us. But I think we need to first say that it's safe to say that we need to be walking with godly counsel wherever we are. And where do we find that? In the body of Christ. It's meant to build up one another. Um, not to be afraid of engaging with the church that you're in. Um, to be accountable. To build relationships to allow people to pour into our lives and to pour out for others and to seek out accountability in the church. And um, one of the things, uh, we were really fortunate to talk with Rita Springer. I don't if you know who that is. She's a worship leader. And one of the things she said was that um, her, um, one of the things that she does in worship is she releases courage out into the audience, out into the people worshiping. And she also said that the biggest thing that happens to her after that when she gets home is the opposite. So she'll feel the most discouragement. She'll feel really beat down. And I believe it's the same for the church. Like the, the Lord has really designed the church to help one another grow, to build relationships. And one of the things that the enemy does is it divides and it makes, you know, if I was to say who's been wounded by the church, probably everyone could raise their hand, you know, because it's hard to to um, be around people and to not get hurt sometimes. But I believe that the Lord and the scriptures say that the Lord is saying that the body is what builds us up. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So the church and the community of believers has to be that place where we get godly counsel and where we are built up in the faith and the scriptures as well. Um, one of the things about our culture, and it has to do with the church because we're all part of this culture, um, it's just we're creating a generation that runs on superficial relationships. Um, a lot of it has to do with social media, a lot of different things in our culture right now. Um, but you are being programmed by social media to think in terms of 130 characters um, and be excited about likes. Um, there's something called a dopamine feedback loop in your brain that gets excited about being liked by other people. Um, and you're being trained through social media to to go on likes, right? Um, and so even, you know, you can look up Sean Parker's interview on YouTube if you want, but he even renounced his own creation and said, you know, um, this is not, this is not, this is hurting our society. Um, but we struggle with face-to-face -face conversation. We struggle with confrontation. Um, one of my, this is so, this grieved my heart, actually. One of my students, um, she said that she's friends with some kids on Snapchat. And so she sees them every day on Snapchat. And it's like, oh, okay. But when she actually sees them in real life at school, they ignore her. Like, they don't even know her. And so in her mind, she has these relationships, you know, but when she gets to the actual school building and she passes this kid in the hallway, there's nothing. It's as if there's nothing. How, uh, just a dagger to your high school heart, you know, like, uh, you know, like, dang, I really don't know this person. Sad, you know, um, but we are so, we've created a culture just based on images instead of actual real life. And I get that we're afraid of accountability because who can we trust, you know? But the Lord has designed the body of Christ to be a place where we can trust people, where he's put leaders in your life, where you can really get godly counsel and where you can really trust them. Because if we don't trust them, then we don't want to do what they, the counsel they gave us. Why would we do it if we don't trust them, you know? And so that's part of it too. Um, but I challenge you, you know, today to just engage with those around you, to put down roots, to allow yourself to be known in a body, to get godly counsel, um, to <laughs> check yourself on social media and make sure that that's not your counsel. And, um, 
you know, and don't feel like I'm not going to be informed if I'm not on social media. You'll be fine. I think we were all alive before it. Um, like I lived in the nineties. Um, I was fine. I didn't even have a pager and I was fine. Um, so, you know, looking at Jesus and gazing at him in the prayer room shows us who we are. It's the image of where are all the creative, amazing things that y'all are and businesses and awesome, amazing things. It's going to flow out of him. And when you look at him and we gaze on his image, it's going to flow out of that. You know, we're going to be found in him. Um, but the second part of Psalm 1, verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Um, his, this person, David, that wrote this, his joy is in the word and righteousness. Um, to delight means to take great pleasure in. You know, in Isaiah, it says that the Lord delights in us, you know, and that he takes great pleasure in us. Like, that is so encouraging. Um, David made a choice to focus on the word, um, day and night study, contemplation, obedience, prayer. Um, and this is all before Jesus. I mean, David was anointing king, but before Jesus died and the Holy Spirit was poured out, like I would venture to say it was probably a little rough, you know, um, but he was going to the temple. He's just reading the scrolls. He was figuring out the story of God. He was getting into the storyline of Jesus and um, I just think that's pretty incredible that he was able to do that before he had the Holy Spirit on the inside. Um, he had a supernatural grace to study the Torah and the Word of God. It's, it's very evident in the Scriptures. I don't know how you could write all those Psalms and not be studying the Scriptures. He was studying them. And then um, it it compelled him to build the tabernacle with night and day worship. And I just got to show you this real quick because I'm just amazed that this actually occurred. But if you can turn to 1 Chronicles 23 real quick, 1 Chronicles 23, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. First Chronicles 23, verses 1 through 5. I just want to show you that this is like in there. It's in the Bible, and it just blows my mind at the ramifications of this. Um, what it says is, So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel, and he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 thousand were gatekeepers. Four thousand praised the Lord with musical instruments. And it says, which he made, said David, for giving praise. I just find this to be unbelievable. If you try, if you just sit and think of 34,000 people and what that looks like, if you just sit and think of 4,000 singers and musicians and what that looks like, where is that located you know, like, think about it. This is before the Holy Spirit. This is before Jesus. And yet he was able, now he's king, he has resources, his word goes, you know. But, like, just the idea to do this, to me, is pretty amazing, right? Um, and it's extravagant that you would do this to worship um, the living God, that he had the revelation that this is, this this person, Jesus, who he was in the, the lineage of, right, um, was worthy of this extravagant thing. But he had an understanding of what it meant to be a king that walked in the priestly anointing. Um, he was really understanding that his authority came through intimacy with God. Um, Jesus is the living word, and as we meditate on him in the house of prayer, we're going to be rooted and grounded in the reality of who he is, and it's not going to be who we think he is. It be, he becomes so much more real because the real Jesus begins to show up. 
the real one, not the one that's like these images that we've seen since we've grown up in America, not those things, but the real Jesus begins to come into our view. And he is far more beautiful than we can ever imagine. He is so glorious. When they were singing today, I was picturing the Jesus in red. It says that he's going to walk up through Israel. His robes are going to be red because he's been treading in the wine press. And he's going to come and he's going to bring righteousness to the earth. He's going to bring righteousness to the city. And that's a Jesus that we don't think about. He's the Jesus in red. We love the Jesus in white, and I love the Jesus in white. He appeared before so many, but there's a Jesus in red that's coming and returning, and his robes are going to be dipped in blood. And he's going to come, and he's going to, he's going to make the wrong things right, and he's going to bring righteousness to the earth. And when you begin to see the different facets of Jesus, it's going to change your whole life. Um, when you get into eat the scroll and you begin to dig into the scriptures in the prayer room or at your house or wherever, you're going to see, um, the descriptions. Moses saw him. Joshua saw him before he went in to take the city. Joshua, the Lord appeared to Joshua. Daniel saw him in the song of Solomon, the description of the bridegroom. It's there in the scriptures right? Isaiah sees him in Isaiah 6. He sees a vision of the Lord. When you begin to meditate on the descriptions of Jesus in your personal time with him, it's going to transform your life. Um, and then we need to ask the Holy Spirit questions about this, you know, and he will answer you, you know. Um, in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel came to Daniel and said, I have come to give you understanding, and I am such a firm believer that it, the Lord wants you to know what's on his heart. He wants you to know his end time plan. He wants you to know his story so that you can see yourself in it. And so that you can find what your calling is and what your destiny is. In his story, you're going to find that. Um, we are really made to partner with him. A ready bride, like you're coming for this bride that's ready. The bride's going to make herself ready. What does that mean? A ready bride knows the thoughts and the plans of the groom. She partners with him. She agrees with him. She's not in disagreement with the things that he's doing. Even if they look crazy, like stuff shaking, right? Stuff's trembling. The earth is crazy stuff's going on, right? Staying in that place of agreement. We know what's on his heart. We know the storyline, so we're not freaked out. We're, we're delving the storyline right now. We're eating the scroll, even the hard stuff. We're facing in the face and saying, this seems really hard, but I'm going to just keep looking at that. So, you know, I won't freak out later, you know. You're probably going to freak out later too, but maybe it won't be as bad. Um, a lot of times what we do is we think that the most important part of the story is like our story. And... Um, that's not necessarily true. You know, he's so committed to his plan that he um, is not as committed to filling your life's calling as he is to his purposes. And how do we know this? Because he said to Peter, get behind me. I'm going to the cross. Like, I'm committed to my purposes. You look at me and you find what your purpose is based on what I'm doing. That's what you're called to do, right? I'm sorry. I grew up in the 90s in the youth group, right? I was definitely going to be a world changer, right? And I was definitely going to do something, you know, but I hit a wall on that thing. I'm not going to change the world without the word of the Lord in me and becoming a messenger. It's not going to happen, right? I'm, it's, and it, didn't, it would not matter if it did. Jesus is going to come through the sky, and that's not his plan for me to change the world. He's going to change it. He's going to restore the earth, you know. Um, but it's just a shift in your mind. Like, yeah, he, does, he is going to use me and you and all of us. We, but we've got to partner with him and what he's doing in his story. He's not like my Facebook follower saying, good job, Lindsay. You know, like, I need to get on his, like, plan, you know. Um, so, and it says in the scriptures so boldly, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that's a lot, guys, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ could dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's not... He's crossing every die and dotting every T on that verse. He wants you in the fullness. He's not not worried about your life. He fully wants to pour out the scripture and the Holy Spirit on your life. And all of this is going to happen for you. But he is fully committed to his plan and what he's going to do in the earth. Um, you know, I, the, the thing that we have to get in, in just the charismatic church and just a prophetic church in general, too, is that the scripture really does sustain us. We just took the communion. We ate the bread, right? That's the sustainer. I have a lot of prophetic words in my life that have been on the shelf and have motivated me along the way and all of those things. But the things that sustains me day in, day out is um, the word of God. And it's my history in God. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying, like, Holy Spirit, I love you. I'm so thankful that you're right here with me, you know, because he sustains us every day. And, you know, it's not the prophetic word that I'm living on. It's not even like sermons, you know, like you can't. I want you to go and study what I'm saying on your own this week. The scriptures that I pull out, all of that, Psalm 1, I want you to look at it on your own, right? This is, should not be sustaining you. This is just me encouraging you and getting you fired up and getting you motivated to go and live your life, the best life imaginable in Jesus, right? But you're going to go and study it out on your own so that you can eat the scroll, right? Um, so anyways, um, Psalm 1 verse 2, it continues to say that he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Um, this is incredible because this is a real literal promise for us. Um, we will be like a watered tree. That's what it says. When we get into the godly counsel, when we root ourselves in the word of God, we will be like a watered tree. The imagery here is speaking of health, roots, rest, a yearly harvest, a tree that is planted into the ground, um, it's set to show that it's like the tree of life, that it's the opposite of all that other stuff. Um, it shows how meditation on Jesus, who is the word, causes a progression of goodness. Because if a tree is going to begin, it's going to be small, and then after years, it's going to produce fruit, and it's going to be seasonal. And um, this is going to be amazing. This is what's going to make you an authentic person. Everyone's like, I want the true me. I want to be this unique individual. Well, you won't be authentic until you look at him face to face. It's going to make you authentic. It's going to make you trustworthy. One of the things I feel so blessed, we do these tribute speeches at the end of the year for my seniors. And it's kind of like the Academy Awards of like their senior year. And they, what I want them to do is have gratitude for the people that have gotten them to their senior year. Because there's a lot, right? When you... 12 years of school, there's a lot of people that have poured into you. And one of the things they, of course, I don't do it for them to thank me. Like, that's not the reason. I really want them to exercise gratitude is what I really do it for. But one of the things they say to me is, Miss Hatch, you will always tell us the truth. And we know that even if it's bad, because sometimes there's tears, you know. Um, but they say to me, you will always tell us the truth. We know that you're not lying. Well, how do they know? that I'm not lying. They don't know me, know me. They know me at school. They know because when I say something, the spirit of truth is in me, and they believe it. And that's who you want to be. And that's not me. That's Jesus. That's, I, don't, I can't preach salvation to them every day. I can't do that in the public school. I have to be the truth to them when they crash into me and they have Miss Hatch on day one. They know, who's this lady? She's so honest. <sighs> uh, right? Scary. Um, you will have a hidden life of happiness. That's what the psalm says. That's the promise. 
a hidden life of happiness that people won't know about. You will be so happy when you get rooted and you get grounded. Um, the other thing is, is it says you'll be ready in season. Um, when the time comes and a door opens, I don't care if it's for a job, if it's for an opportunity, it's for an uh, opportunity to speak somewhere, lay hands on someone. You're in the grocery line. Uh, Rob talks to everyone in the grocery line. And I'm waiting for that day, you know, the time when he's going to want to pray for someone. He does that um, all the time. Not that I don't do it, but he's definitely the, the talker. Um, he will talk to everyone. And um, you want to be ready in season for these opportunities, you know, um, to come. One of the things that I'm so blessed to have a heritage in this is, like, I grew up in a coaching family. Um, the element of being prepared is like my life, right? So, like, I mean, I was always preparing for the next season, right, of sports, right, of the things that I was going to do. We had this camp. My dad had this camp called BFS, and it stands for Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And we were in that camp when we were in elementary school, then in middle school. When we were older, we ran that camp. We coached that camp. And why were we coaching that camp in the summer? It's because it's the off-season. You're preparing for the season. You're getting ready. You're getting your team ready. You're, you're getting ready. That element of being prepared in season so you're ready to go and win is like, I, I get it, right? And so I feel really blessed that it's, it's an element of the spiritual life is to be prepared. It's saying you'll be ready in season when you're rooted and you're grounded. Um. And then the last thing is about it, it's, it's another promise, a tree whose leaves will not wither. And I take this literal, right? I take it literal. I might be doing fabulous today, but on Monday morning, it might be, I may be hurting, right? Or I may have a season of trial, or I may have some obstacles, but this says that in those seasons, I will not wither, I'm not going to self-destruct. I'm not going to, like, throw in the towel. None of that's going to happen, and this is a promise. Sometimes we wonder if we have what it takes for certain challenges. If you've ever been, like, a new mom or dad, like you've had a new baby, you're like, do I have what it takes for this? Like, i got to take this kid to 18 years old. I don't know. You know, like, uh, do I have what it takes, you know? Or you just get married, and you're like, I don't know, like, 50 years, that seems real long. Um, you know, like, you're like, do I have what it takes? You're just worried. But this says a tree whose leaves will not wither. You, so basically he's saying if you do this, you'll have what it takes. I'm going to impart my spirit in you, and you will have what it takes when the time comes. You're not going to wither. You're going to be rooted, and you're going to be grounded. Um, this is awesome. The other thing it says is this. Whatever he does will prosper. This is an, also another amazing promise because it's a literal promise. So it takes all like obstacles away. If you do this and you are rooted and grounded in the word of God and in Jesus, it's saying that no matter what you're doing, what season it is, we all know we do stuff for certain times. Like it's not for 20 years. It's maybe three years, maybe six months, maybe a year. Whatever we're doing, even in a temporary season, we're going to prosper at that thing. That is so incredible. It takes off. You could be someone that's poor, a poor person struggling financially, and you do this principle, and the, the promise of God is that you will prosper. You could be undocumented. You could, you could have whatever obstacle you want to have, and when you do this, it says that you will prosper. It's a promise. Like, I love that, and we can take it literally. You can look even in the scriptures. Look at Daniel in Babylonian captivity. The Lord said that he was 10 times better than his peers. It also made him prosper in the midst of that. This is slavery, right? He has no rights. He has no nothing. He still prayed three times a day. He still went deep in the Lord. And the Lord did miraculous things through him. Same thing, you look at Joseph. Again, slavery. What can be worse? I mean, just imagine the filth and the prison and just everything, right? The word says that if he's rooted and grounded in the scriptures and in him, that he will prosper. And he did. You know, so this is like unbelievable. It's an unbelievable promise um, for everyone out there. Um, so um, 
I don't know. It's talking about godly counsel at the beginning, and it's saying that, you know, in the church is where we're going to find this. And then rooted and grounded in the house of prayer and in the word of God, we're going to find all of these things. And um, some practical things just at the storehouse is um, coming, obviously, but allowing yourself to be known here at the storehouse, um, allowing yourself to open up, allowing yourself to come into a place of accountability, um, being um, coming to the prayer sets and um, or being in EJS, um, just coming throughout the week and getting rooted and allowing the Lord to restructure kind of your life and kind of coming out of the culture of what we, we're supposed to do and um, redesigning it, you know, kind of like David did. Um, so anyways, one of the things that I realized with Rob and I, because we went a season of um, not being here at the storehouse, and so then lately it's like, oh, okay, the Lord is just releasing grace on us to be in the house of prayer and begin to build. And um, when I, when you decide and you say yes to it, um, the Lord releases grace. Like I am so amazed at the fire of God he's been pouring out on us just by saying, yes, I want to do this. I want to be rooted. I want to be grounded. And I want to begin to build. Um, there has been so much grace come on us um, because there was a season where, you know what you do when you come home from work, you make your dinner and you're watching a show or you're doing something, whatever you're doing, you're trying to relax, right? And I'm just saying that um, the Lord can help you relax <laughs> big time. He can give you grace for prayer, grace for worship, grace to be in the house of prayer, grace to um, be with others. Um, I am just so amazed at turning off the TV and just making a choice at how much grace hits your life for pressing in to Jesus. Um, because if the enemy can keep you just numbed out, then you're good. He doesn't even have to hit you with any kind of anything. You don't need to get sick or lose your job, nothing. Just keep you looking at the TV all day and night, you know, and you'll, you're perfect because your ministry impact is not going to be that great. But when you turn off the TV and you begin to restructure and you begin to ask the Lord to help you redesign, we don't do it in our own strength. We say, Lord, we need your help. Help me. I am weak, broken, can't do this. Help me, please. And then you decide, like you turn the TV off, literally, and you, you might have to sit there and just like look at nothing. You know, until you're like, why don't I get up to the church? You know, why don't I find some people and get a prayer meeting? Why don't I get some accountability on the phone? Why don't I think of who needs a prophetic word and how about speak it to them right now? How about there's some people in my life I need to pray for. Let me get, you know, let me start pressing into these things and you're going to feel grace hit you like never before. I am certain of it. Um, Isaiah 50 verse 7, and this is the message Bible. It says, and the master God stays right there and helps me, so I'm not disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like a flint, confident that I'll never regret this. I thought that was an amazing translation. I am so certain that I will never regret running into Tracy Eckert. I am not going to ever regret it. I'm not going to regret getting encountered in 2007 or 2008, or here on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to regret that kind of life in God because it just gets bigger and better and more beautiful. Um, I'm not going to regret that. Um, one of the things that I want to do is ask if there's anyone um, that wants um, just either, if the, today the response is going to be, if you want a deeper life in prayer, if you want a deeper life in the word, because it's there for you. Like when we ask for these things, he will give it to us. Um, a deeper life in prayer, a deeper life in the word. If you um, 
have a sense that you're like, man, I'm called to this. Like, I'm called to be in the house of prayer. I'm called to serve, to minister. I'm not even a musician, but, like, I feel the rhythm of heaven in my life. Like, I just need to, you know, I've seen people transform. I've seen non-musicians that didn't even sing a note or play a tune in a year's time be leading a set, be leading worship. And it's amazing. It's astounding. If that's in your heart and the Lord sees that, he will begin to grant it. Like, talk about creativity being released on you to pick up an instrument, to begin to learn it, and then lead others. Like, that's amazing. Like, or if you want an increase of that, that's what um, I want you to come up for today for prayer. And we've got Tracy, Rob, Matt, Sharon, um, everyone up here um, to pray over you for this impartation, but if you could just put some worship on, that would be good. Let's just stand. Can we all stand? Well, Lord, there is an intangible element that we are asking for today. We are asking that you would help us, that you would root us and ground us in your body, that you would root us and ground us in the word, that you would change our appetite for the scriptures, that you would change our appetite for life. Lord, that you would mark people with a spirit of prayer today, that you would mark people with a heart for intercession today, that you would mark people that want to build the house of prayer, that you would mark people that want just an overhaul of their time, effort, and energy. God, I just ask that you would pour out your spirit for this. Lord, that the season is now, and we just agree and enter in to the timing of the Lord. I just want you to come up if you want the Lord to rest on you with a spirit of prayer. If you want to feel, this is for everyone. This isn't just for the old lady intercessors. This is for anyone that wants the spirit of prayer to rest on you. If you want the spirit of prayer, I'm just going to pray corporately, and obviously you can get personal ministry, but Lord, I just ask right now that every person that has come up here to receive the spirit of prayer, that you would take them into intercession. You would begin to show them your heart in prayer. You would begin to give them the language of prayer. They would begin to eat the scroll. They would begin to experience you in prayer. God, I ask that you would give them revelatory dreams, that they would begin to pray those out. I ask that you begin to restructure their schedule, that they begin to come to the prayer sets. They begin to get into your presence. God, I ask for a hunger and a thirst to be poured out on them, God, and that the joy of the Lord would also partner with it, that they would feel the joy of the Lord in the house of prayer. It says in that day they will volunteer freely in the house of prayer. God, I just ask right now for these volunteers, God, that they would be experiencing you like never before. They would feel your affections in the place of prayer, God. They would feel the increase of the decision to say yes to you, God. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.